again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 209th program of Think Again, a program of Borderlands Cooperative which has been working for social change for over 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're looking at what's happening with climate change and what can be done about it, or might be done about it. I'm sure we've all seen the news about raging out-of-control wildfires in Greece on the news, in Spain, Croatia and Canada. People are suffering and dying in heat waves too in the Northern Hemisphere, in Europe and in North America, and in North Africa and Asia. And, and then there are the devastating floods in Northern India and Korea. And mm. of course, we've also experienced them in Australia, as well as the wildfires for some years now. So the news reports sound like something out of a futurist dystopian novel, don't they? But, but it's real and it's happening now. It's happening what's been predicted. Anyway, with all this disaster, we thought it would be good to have Simon Bradshaw from the Climate Council on the program to help us make sense of it all and hopefully help us find some way out of it. Welcome to the program, Simon. Uh, good morning, Jennifer. Good morning, Jack. Thank you for having me. And <laughs> let me uh, first acknowledge I'm joining you from beautiful uh, Darug country and pay my respects to the elders past and present and recognise the critical role that First Nations play in everything we're talking about today when it comes to tackling the climate crisis. Thanks but, for uh, that. Great to be with you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that, Simon. And hi. Start with, can you explain what is happening with climate change events around the world and all the disasters we're seeing on our screens and read about in the newspapers? Hi, Jack. Certainly. Look, what we're seeing in simple terms is an age of consequences for our past inaction on climate change, Mm -hmm. driven by the uh, relentless burning of coal, oil and gas. We've been increasing the concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. That means we've got an atmosphere that is warmer, that's wetter, that's packing more energy for powerful storms. And through this, we see that relentless rise in global average temperatures. But what we also see along with that is this tremendous increase in extreme events because we've Mm. now got more Mm. energy in the climate. It's like a climate on steroids, if you like. And as Jennifer, I heard you just mentioning there, we've had this um, really quite frightening concurrence of things happen through the Northern Hemisphere summer, Mm -hmm. these simultaneous heat waves across much of the North American continent, Southern Europe, uh, much of South and Southeast Asia. And then we've had these extreme downpours happening in in Korea, in, uh, in Western China, in up in the Himalayan foothills in Himachal Pradesh. So, you know, that extreme heat and that extreme wet, very much what, uh, you know, climate scientists have warned us mm-hmm. to expect if we ignore the warnings uh, around climate change. Mm-hmm. But it certainly is quite heartbreaking to see that unfold. And mm-hmm. as I think you mentioned, Australians are no strangers to these extremes and the suffering that they bring. We've had, of course our own devastating fire seasons, extreme heat events, and 
we've all been watching the fires in Canada and in the Greek islands, I think, with a lot of empathy and mm-hmm. sorrow for what's happening there and, you know, recognising mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. all in that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one other thing I'll just mention before, I know we want to move from the confronting news to the, the solutions is, and I did hear you touch on this as well, Jennifer, we've seen these extreme events and then we've seen some worrying signs of some really big changes happening in our climate system. We're seeing signs of these critical ocean circulations Mm -hmm. and currents which distribute heat and rainfall around the world starting to change and decline and then other things like this very rapid decline in sea ice Mm -hmm. and also the changes we've seen to some of our critical ecosystems here that do suggest that we are getting close to some of what's long been called you know tipping points or these thresholds that if crossed we would then see you know more abrupt and more rapid changes that would get us into very serious territory indeed so a lot of confronting news there, but I think we have to take it all as just a sign to double down and act with great urgency. It's absolutely not too late to avert a full-blown catastrophe, but it's certainly going to take all our best efforts now mm. and through these critical years. Yeah, and I think the other thing, Simon, we talked about um, off-air a couple of days ago mm. is the disproportionate impacts on poorer people and, and people of colour. So there's been articles about that happening in local areas, but I guess it's also happening across the world as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very important to recognise that, Jennifer. We see this within countries and between countries. I think most obviously in our own region, um, being part of the Pacific family, we have these very acute impacts on many Pacific Island nations who mm-hmm. you know, contributed nothing to the problem of climate change in terms of greenhouse emissions and, in fact, have shown very great leadership and solutions. But... They're very much being hit first and hardest by those um, by those impacts and having fewer resources in many cases to adapt to that. Mm. But then within our own borders here, I'm living in Sydney, and even just between you know the affluent east of Sydney and then the western suburbs, you see mm. obviously an existing social economic mm. inequality. And then when you have extreme heat, it's several degrees hotter in the west. Uh, you have less quality infrastructure, particularly you know schools. Um, not have the same investment into them and so people are more exposed to that extreme heat and that affects children's abilities to learn and so whatever existing inequalities we have they tend to get amplified exacerbated by climate change and just perhaps the most yeah sorry yeah just to confirm that simon we have done some research in the western suburbs of melbourne and we have right. come to the, exactly the same conclusion. Jesuits, uh-huh. the Jesuits uh, uh, welfare welfare organization, they have done it nationally, and they found it quite repeated all over the nation. So it's quite quite yeah. confronting that that reality. Mm. So so now that we've had all the um, our reality confirmed of what we've been witnessing, and we do need to look it in the face. And I guess um, Simon. One reason people, I guess, maybe sometimes don't want to is because they're frightened or it's too overwhelming or they think it's too late. So what I want to ask you, Simon, um, do you think it's too late or do we still have time to avert the most extreme catastrophe? It's never too late, Jennifer, and I think, first of all, I should acknowledge, um, you know, these realities, what we've seen, you know, I think they are very confronting and uh, it's a lot to take in, but it is very important that we don't then slip into any despair and lose hope because 
Um, you know, there, there is a tremendous amount we can do still to limit future harms and also the smart actions we need to take bring a whole lot of additional benefits with them and I think it's worth looking at a few examples. Mm. So look, with where we're at, we're clearly paying a price for inaction on climate change. Things will continue to get more challenging because of the sort of inertia in the climate system, if you like, the fact that there is a, a lag between however strong action we take now and really starting to bend that temperature curve. But our actions right now are going to be very, very consequential in the kind of future that people alive today have, obviously future generations even more so. And if we're successful, for example, in really driving down emissions this decade through the 2020s as Australia and globally, that will very quickly start to limit the harms that we would otherwise be seeing. And it's first of all in terms of those extreme heat events where we'll be starting to see fewer than we would be seeing if we just continue to let things rip. And then as we get further into the century, we start to see many, many benefits in terms of other extremes being avoided. So the way we like to express it is that every fraction of a degree of avoided warming, every smart choice, every positive action we take, every tonne of carbon we leave in the ground is an investment in a brighter, safer future. And it really is. And I know we're going to talk in a little bit about the specific actions we can all take. There's something else I'd just like to um, talk to as well, which is, look, if I look through my social media feeds at the moment, I mean, there's a lot of Zoomism, for want of a better word. I think a lot of us all looking at some of these trends and thinking, oh, my goodness, have we well and truly broken the planet now and it's, it's all over? And it's not. It really isn't. I think I don't want to downplay the severity of what we're looking at. But what the science tells us, if we really look at it, is that, yes, we are very close to a precipice. We've wasted far, far too much time. But if we really act hard now, collectively, we can still avert those worst-case scenarios. That's transgressing at certain tipping points that would see things really spiral out of control. Now, it takes a Herculean effort. It means we have to at least halve global emissions this decade. Australia's got to do much more than that. But when there is so much at stake... Of course, we've got to give it our all. But I think the crucial thing for us all to hang on to in this moment is we can't despair. We've got to look at this. We've got to take it seriously. We've got to do everything we can to build a brighter future. And that brighter future is not just one where we've brought down emissions. It's one where we've built stronger communities, where we're healthier, uh, because Mm -hmm. everything from local renewable energy schemes to changing the way we move around, getting out of our cars, to supporting small-scale agriculture, to deepening cooperation within our borders and across borders, of course, all that is stuff that not only works for the planet, but leaves Mm -hmm. us all stronger as well. So that's the future we've got to keep working Mm -hmm. towards. Just to let this message ring out a little bit, let's listen to The Seed, written by Aurora and sung by Melbourne Indie Voices.
You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today, Jen and I are both in the studio and we're talking about what is happening with climate change, especially after Antonia Guterres said that we're now moving from climate warming to climate boiling. Mm-hmm. To help us understand this, we have Simon Bradshaw from the Climate Council on the line. And before the break, he was explaining what's happening with climate change and how it is not too late to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, Simon, of the directions our political leaders are taking us in? Mm-hmm. Particularly, I'm really getting outraged with the focus on militarization and mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things and international divisions rather than think about uniting together globally and deal with climate change. What's your thoughts about that? Mm. Thanks, Jack. Look, a couple of things. I think before addressing that point specifically, the other thing I'd add is that we're sort of through that period of outright climate denial, I think. And you'll remember 10 Mm. or so years ago, there was an awful lot of work to do just to convince that we have a problem. Now, I think Mm. these days, Mm. all but a very small, albeit very vocal fringe, understands we've got a real crisis here. But the risk now of climate delay through political lack of leadership, I think that's very real. And one thing we get very concerned about is a lot of greenwash, a lot of false Mm -hmm. solutions Mm -hmm. around carbon capture and storage or illusions that we can keep burning fossil fuels because we can somehow capture the emissions and lock them back underground, which we can't. So Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. a real threat at the moment is sort of false solutions masquerading as real action. That's where we have to be really careful, I think, and the Climate Council were obviously driving all the time to sort of show what real action at the scale and pace that the climate science demands looks like and holding our leaders mm-hmm. to accountable for that. But look, back, back to your point, that it's such an important one because there is no way through this except through deeper cooperation. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, none of us are safe until we're all safe. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is, I like to think, on good days, and I have a lot of faith left in humanity that you know, this is a moment where we can rally together, where we can overcome those divisions by recognizing our common future and everything we all have to bring to this challenge. And uh, that, you know, action on climate change can be something that unites us within mm-hmm. our country and globally, because there is so much at stake. And we all, of course, are fundamentally dependent on success in that mission. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that I'm sure you and listeners find maddening about um, some of that militaristic response is the staggering amount of resources yes. we seem to be willing to commit to it. Mm. And yes. not only that, but we're willing to plan out over many decades. That's right. Over many, many political cycles. And on the one hand, it shows that we can do that. Yes. <laughs> if we want to, and we need to apply that same mm. resolve and thinking and far-sightedness mm. and public investment and everything else. To, um, uh, to resolving the climate crisis because, goodness, the amount of good you could do for the price of one nuclear-powered submarine Absolutely. is enormous. Yeah. So I think it is a matter of priorities and making smart decisions about our shared yeah. future. And also because of the military being one of the worst polluters and one of the worst global warming creators, mm. if you think about it, both in terms mm-hmm. of the production of the, wa- of the, the warware as well as also the maintenance of it and the use of it. So all of those are polluting and all of those are extremely damaging. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and I think um, 
Simon, my thoughts were probably similar to yours when I saw that we could commit 386 billion way into the future into nuclear mil uh, mil militarization. I just thought, wow, imagine if we did that mm. for the planet, 386 mm. billion for just our country alone. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. um, the amount of um, um, good that focus and those resources would do. So we can do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And yeah, so I think Jacques and I are both on board with, with you on that one, Simon. So, so Simon Bradshaw, what do you think our leaders need to do and what can listeners do? Mm. Let's take each of those in turn. And I think, what can our leaders do? What, what do I wish they'd do? I think it's really recognising the moment we're in and working to galvanise the whole population um, and every part of our community to deal mm -hmm. with this mm -hmm. challenge and to really be appealing to our, our best natures, what we can do, not to be stoking division, but you know, getting us all pumped up and excited about this challenge, about building a better future together. And yes, really involving the whole country, you know, mm -hmm. non-government organisations, the private sector, mm -hmm. all layers of government, um, you know, all in this kind of shared challenge. And of course, that means vision, fundamentally, mm -hmm. uh, because we are sadly at a point where we can't deal with the climate crisis through incremental change. Mm -hmm. Now, we need mm -hmm. big, bold, transformative shifts. And as we were talking about earlier, a future where we are tackling climate change and implementing these smart solutions for our energy system, our transport system, our, uh, our food systems, everything else. That's a really compelling, bright future that we can be working towards. It's one where we are healthier, stronger, more prosperous, more connected, more united, everything else. So I think what it starts with is really sharing that vision and pulling people along. And mm. part of that, of course, is listening to frontline communities, listening most importantly to First Nations mm -hmm. across this continent, listening, of course, to rural and remote Australia, you know, people who are yes. impacted exactly. disproportionately by climate change and moving ahead in a way that brings everybody along. And, of course, alongside that is not listening to vested interests, mm -hmm. to the extraordinary amount of influence That's that right. is still there from the fossil fuel industry. So... Look, in very broad terms, that's what I see it. That's how I see it. Now, that, of course, mm. is, a lot of, is a lot of platitudes. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're to bring it back then to the, the nuts and bolts, what needs to happen in terms of legislative moves, in terms of policy, in terms of smart investments, I'll just mention one critical thing at the moment, which is that the government's committed to reform our key national environment law, the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, which, if you can believe it, does not at the moment take account of climate change, which... I think just the very notion of that, that our key environment law under which all significant projects are approved and assessed doesn't consider the impacts of those projects on climate change, yeah. which is madness in the face <laughs> of what we know about the climate crisis. So mm. that's one thing to be fixed up as soon as possible mm. over the coming months. Mm. But, you know, that will be one of many steps that needs to be taken. Mm. And to the question of what we can all do <clears throat> and... I heard uh, a couple of very wise people say that, look, focus on what is near to you, what's within your sphere of influence, um, first of all. And that can mean a lot of things. That can be as simple as talking to your friends, having conversations about climate change, getting worked up and excited about what we have to do together. 
It can mean working together as a community to, you know, build greater preparedness together around extreme weather risks or even to be taking on, you know, community-owned renewable energy projects. There's all sorts of very exciting um, things that get led from the ground up in this country. But I think the point there is start with what's close to you and don't underestimate the importance just of talking to your friends and colleagues and building that shared understanding of what we're dealing with. And then beyond that, of course, thinking about the individual choices we make all the time because there are many things within our control. You know, it can be getting off gas and electrifying our homes, making them more efficient. That's going to be driving down our own contribution to emissions. It's also going to be saving us a lot of money, maybe changing the way we move around, which, as we've talked about, is part of reducing our own footprint but also can be keeping us healthier. If you have a degree of wealth, not everyone does, of course, but if you do, if you have a mortgage or a bit stored away in super or a bit in your savings, mm-hmm. you're thinking about where you're banking, who your mortgage provider or a super fund are, because that's how together we can shift the literally trillions of dollars of capital from dirty fossil fuels into climate solutions. Mm. But then on top of all of that, and I can't stress this enough, Yes, there's a lot within our individual control, but fundamentally it's about systemic change and having the leadership we need. And that's where, of course, we are blessed to live in a democracy, albeit an imperfect one, but when we have those opportunities to vote at different levels of governments, asking those questions of our candidates, whether they're committed to climate action, not to false solutions, not a greenwash, but are really on board Mm -hmm. with the smart, ambitious, inclusive solutions that we need and voting accordingly. So there's a lot there, I realise, but Mm. I think I wanted to share all of that just to emphasise that there is so much that we can Mm. do, from the very simple to the the more more involved. Mm. And every little accumulated thing, every Mm. little smart choice, we see as a little investment in a better future. And I'll just leave with the thought that, um, you know, we sometimes say that hope leads to action, but really it's the other way around. It's Mm. action taking action Mm. ourselves and with our friends, with our community, that can get us onto that hopeful, virtuous Mm. cycle where we're fully aware of the gravity of what we're dealing with, but we know that the solutions are there Mm. and that a better future is possible. Yes, and I would say also that for those of us who have connections with the existing political parties, particularly with the two ones who are... Mm. Continuing to be thought of as the mainstay of democracy, uh, but they also are the mainstay of uh, of uh, competitiveness, of uh, being opposed to. And I think that kind of a mentality in politics is just not helping. Yeah, and maybe mm. and, and letting them know we mm. want to stop digging up fossil fuels. <laughs> yes, would be exactly. Good. Mm. It's ultimately very simple, isn't it? I mean, we think climate change is an incredibly complex challenge. On mm. the one hand. It is. On the other hand, it is very simple. We need to leave our fossil fuels yeah. in the ground. Thank, thank you so much uh, for coming on the program, Simon. We'll have to leave it there, I'm afraid, but it's been really illuminating. And thanks for being so articulate in explaining what's happening with climate change, but also explaining it, it, it's not too late um, to make change and to avert the worst catastrophe. So thank you for coming on the program, raising our awareness and, um, and importantly, let, let, as I say, letting us know that it's not too late to see benefits and save our planet if we only take meaningful action starting right now. Mm-hmm. Jacques, did thank you, you want both to... and your <laughs> listeners for the opportunity. Absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you. And thank you. Thanks for me too, Simon. Uh, we move to some community announcements. The... Uh, 
at Borderlands, we actually are trying to do a little bit of what Simon just has been sharing with us. We uh, are starting a uh, series of talks about alternative economics conversations uh, in Footscray, in our main in our main place, the place where we now have moved to about two years ago. So we will hold a series of conversations around alternative economics, which are more in tune with what Simon just has been sharing with us. Uh, they will be happening on every first Thursday of the coming months, starting uh, in September, uh, the uh, 7th of September, and we start 7.30 at night, uh, the evening, till 9 o'clock. Uh, the first one we actually want to honor, particularly also what First Nations people have to help us with, to thinking through all the kinds of uh, climate issues which we have just been talking about. It is very much possible, uh, I'm quite personally quite convinced that they have a lot to share with us about how to become, become acting sustainably in our daily lives as well as in our communities. So the first will, uh, the first meeting will be Alistair Thorpe and Yin Paradis in conversation, uh, particularly also talking about truth, treaty and voice, but also including how could we be helped in our attempts at living more sustainably. And maybe we'll talk about the other conversations at our next program, but the next few will be about alternative economies and having different speakers. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay, great. Hiroshima Day Rally for Peace and Against Nuclear Submarines, AUKUS and War. Nationwide commemorations and events will be held on the 78th anniversary of the US dropping nuclear bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Join millions of people across the world in sending a powerful message, never again. On Sunday 6th of August at 1pm at the State Library of Victoria. For more information, you can visit the Facebook page No AUKUS Coalition Vic, a 3CR supporter. Thanks to our listeners for tuning into our Think Again program live on 3CR Community Radio today. If you want to contact us or know more about the conversations coming up, please email borderlands at borders at borderlands.org.au and put Think Again in the reference line. Yeah, and our programs are available by podcast and on the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Meanwhile, please enjoy... Milku Mana by King Stingray.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.